Simbida. Miniatures. <laughs> Beautiful. All right, let's get silence. I just assume that that engine noise is on here, so. Start again. Live from the Mundangerous War Room in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 153 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about one of the original tabletop accessories, miniatures. But first the rogue traders get 420 no scoped in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign, and later Mini Mage shrinks down to near actual size in the Character Creation Forge. So just a reminder before we start that I will be participating in a panel at Gen Con, 9 a.m. on Thursday morning, alongside Michael from the RPG Academy and Victoria from the Broadswords. Yes, you too can see Shane in near actual size, <laughs> depending on how close to the front you are. Yes, as we uh, we are discussing introduction to DMing for D&D. It's very specific. Well, specific yeah. is good. Yeah, especially with introductions, right? Like, you can't be broad in an introduction, and then it's just like, well, that's not actionable. All right, so, tons of seats left? Not so much. Oh. Uh, only 18 out of 150 remaining as of yesterday. So buy now. From me, they're only $15 each. <laughs> they, they are actually free, and I believe you can get them still from Gen Con. <laughs> I, I guess technically that's 18 as of a week ago, as we're as this is releasing, but, you know, there's probably still a couple tickets remaining. All right. Speaking of only a few remainders, Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And on the Dead World Malage Act, the Rogue Traders and their two best companies of armsmen have located the Verza House, an ancient obsidian fortress once occupied by the fallen Dark Angel, Lord Cypher. Now occupied by mutants, who have entered through the casements because we didn't have enough men to defend them. Yeah, so while, uh, while the rest of you are up there with the armsmen desperately trying to defend those casements and uh, repel this massive wave of mutant attackers... Your quartermaster Echo, your Seneschal Tricks, and your Astropath Flare are continuing along in the unexplored regions of the Verza House looking for something. They don't know what. They just know that there must be something important here because otherwise, why would we keep getting attacked over and over again? Yeah, and they keep having these like inklings and premonitions like like it's not it's not over, right? So they press onward and along the way they have discovered an armory that uh, proved vital to as as fractured a defense as it has been. Like it would have been so much worse had they not found all of those. Uh, what were we calling them? Hotter shot las guns. Hotter shot cannon guns. Pulse guns. Yeah, these giant single shot cannons that you guys have been using to uh, pick off key troops. I rem- remember that Trank's philosophy is that it's never that you have a shortage of men. It's that you've got a shortage of firepower. So those guns help. But if we had had even better guns, we could have held the casements. So, pressing onward, uh, Echo Tricks and Flare are confident that the Emperor will reveal further important secrets to them, so they press onwards, and finally, suddenly, the reverb of all the shelling ceases. And it is replaced by a familiar sound in Flare's ears. 
at least a flare. That vision of that large albino snake dragging its chitinous body segments through the stone tunnel. That's gross. I keep saying we should kill him. Flare or the snake? Flare. <laughs> well, yeah. But I guess we need him. He's kind of part of the ship. Um, and not too long after that, uh, they receive word over the Vox that the house above has been breached, that the upper casements are falling. And at that point, Flair attempts to use his telepathy to contact the Inquisitor, who is, you know, hundreds of kilometers away. And 14 years old. And 14 years old. And like a real teenager, he receives no response. <laughs> New brain, who dis? So this puts them in quite a pickle. You know, they don't know, uh, you know, do they trust, do they have faith in the emperor will, that he will provide them with some something that will save them? Do they rush back to uh, try and, you know, make the heroic last stand with the rest of the armsmen? Like, what's the path? Uh, and so the blind literally lead the blind. Trix, who had his eyes exploded earlier uh, due to, what, a ton of last fire? Uh-huh. Uh, leads onward because he is full of Eldar, dark Eldar combat drugs which give him uh, a sinistient sense so that he can kind of uh, see the world around him at least through the horrors of the warp. Yeah, and, and he's he's already died once today. <laughs> <laughs> so he figures urgency is more important than safety. We are charging headlong into whatever is coming. It's a good day to die again. Right. Like I already almost bit it once so it is time to press my luck. What are the chances of me dying twice in the same day. Right. <laughs> I think it's more that I shouldn't be here anyway. I might as well sacrifice myself uh, for my comrades. Oh, adorable. Was this Brian trying to get rid of Trix? Yeah, of course nobody <laughs> believes Trix's, you know, devotion to the team. Uh, so he starts, you know, like rushing through this. They're kind of where they were previously sort of carefully inspecting and breaching doors and covering angles. Now they're kind of just rushing through looking for anything that catches their eye that might be useful. And Trix charges forward through one of these doors that uh, looks not distinguishable from any of the other dozens of doors they have barged through in the past handful of minutes, uh, except that when it opens... It's a surprising scene. It's it's open air. It's a courtyard. Yeah, a nice courtyard where you might have brunch. And from the roof on the far side of this courtyard, a single shot rings out, aimed squarely at Trix's head, who never sees it coming. And we'll find out what happens next week. So this week, we are talking about miniatures. Uh, what are we talking about with minis um how to move them on the board i know how to move them on the board yeah you pick them up carefully and set them down no carefully. i'm like a general okay i use that oh, you use uh, the, the, the like the thing you have the, for pool the or, crap stick yes there we go. <laughs> like a croupier I, I i move three or four of them at the same time my army moves towards the alps we must protect the eastern flank <laughs> Fight them in the baston. Uh, so no, we're not talking about uh, grid combat. We're not talking about how they uh, how they kind of work at the table. We're we're kind of talking about the miniatures themselves um, because miniatures are older than the hobby. Frankly, um, you know, like chainmail and and D and D came from miniatures war games, and and even before it became sort of a commercial game, it was uh, miniatures were used in actual you know war 
rooms for planning and understanding and visualizing battlefields. Yeah, we talked about way back in episode 107 in Intro to RPGs that like this hobby was originally sort of born out of actual war games used at actual tables where people were actually deciding where to put real armies. Right. You know, and they used small little uh, not individual men, but you know, um pieces to made to look like like army battalions deciding where they were going. And, you know, little by little, it helps the mind if it really looks like the thing it's supposed to represent. Yeah. And, and you know, the hobby grows out of it, right? So how big are they? We're talking action figures, um, G.I. Joe. Yeah, we're talking about 28 millimeter scale, which is like usually like a one inch base, if you think about it, which is convenient because most of our grids are one inch grids. So they're usually made out of something like uh, pewter. Uh, lead or lead free so try not to stick them in your mouth yeah i mean if you look old enough miniatures you can find lead miniatures but man that is bad news uh lately they've been made out of plastic um or other diff- different types of resin materials uh lately you can get them 3d printed yeah with like i guess pretty much anything depending on how much you want to pay yeah i mean as long as you can uh create the template for it right i guess that feeds the printer you can do quite a bit with uh with 3d printing nowadays i prefer mine carved out of hardwood (laughs) well there's that by a blind man so the old-fashioned way was to uh buy your miniature in bits on a sprue uh and then sort of like split out the parts and assemble them with glue okay so shane for people who have not built model airplanes explain what a sprue is oh so a sprue is like like a glue. does it eat you in the dark yep that's it um, no, so the sprue is like the uh, the plastic sheet, for lack of a better term, that all of the um, all the different parts are attached to, and they're you know because they're when they're cast and molded, um, you don't want to just do one part at a time, right? So they do multiple and like kind of connect them. So when you open the box, you know there's a few flat pieces that you can cut out and then uh, assemble. Yeah, and you'll like you know take some of them sometimes and like twist and pull. And then it's got that little plastic little point. Yeah, that little little nub. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk about how to deal with that later. (laughs) Okay, so uh, in the old days, you would break out the little pieces, glue them together, and then what? Paint them? Yeah, paint them. Leave them gray, whatever it is. Collect them, use them, um, play your games with them. Uh, I think, you know, chain mail and, and that sort of thing took the miniatures from larger armies and kind of made a more tactical scale and then D&D added a story around that. Um, but the miniatures never really changed. Yeah, it's interesting that that is essentially the innovation that made role-playing games in the first place was you had like army men, right? Little army men. Um, and someone was like, well, what if like each individual army man had a story? Right. What if we tried to tell that story rather than, you know, the, the unit level story? Right. Yeah. It just narrowed the focus and narrowed the focus. And now, I mean, you could argue that there's a lot of RPGs that are coming out that have narrowed that story so much that you no longer need the miniature. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the the interaction of the character with the other characters, like kind of in that combat situation, is no longer core to the role playing experience. I mean, I'm developing an RPG where you're just role-playing, like, the spleen of an individual person. Oh, yeah. Other people are like, well, I'm the pancreas. No, I'm the appendix, and I'm gonna gonna burst. (laughs) Oh, large intestine, man. I'm always stuck. Look, someone has to be large intestine, okay? Every party (laughs) needs a large intestine. 
Everyone know Rob's full of shit. <laughs> Noob. <laughs> All right. So let's say that our description has, uh, even though it is unlikely, intrigued you. And you want to get your hands on some minis of your own. Where would you do that? So first place to look is dedicated miniatures lines. Um, so Reaper is probably the best known um, right now because they run massive Kickstarters where everybody pre-orders like hundreds of minis for very few dollars. Um, but then you can also go on their website and buy um, the same minis that were offered in these Kickstarters. So um, Reaper Bones is the line that most people pay attention to because it's like a good blend of cost and quality. Um, then there's the D&D and Pathfinder. They both have their own branded miniatures. I think they're maybe both made by WizKids. Um, but those are kind of innovative because they're pre-painted. So when they come out of the box, they've already got some paint slapped on them so they look a little more realistic. Yeah, one thing I like about these in particular is that there's a lot of stock. Uh, because they've been out for so many years, uh, you have lots of people who are sort of getting rid of them or you can buy them individually. Um, they're all over the place. Yeah, and what's nice about them too is that they cover like a broad range of the monster manual so you don't have to like dig around and try and figure out like well what does a yugaloth actually look like and like does this make sense or like maybe like you know i'm digging through a list of 600 monster miniatures from this line like which one looks most like that yugaloth i'm looking for yeah i will say though it is difficult to find um, minis that are you know sort of pre-assembled uh, or pre-molded to fit a, a more unique character concept like you know a fighter who um, is using a whip uh, or if for example you're playing like a female character there's usually a, a dearth of them unless you you know want to use a drow or want to have big boobs yeah uh, however there are other options for people who don't necessarily want to use a pre-built mini yeah, this will not be your most cost-effective option, but Hero Forge exists now, which lets you design your character um, in your browser with like hundreds of customization options, and then they 3D print it for you. Yeah, so you can pick armor, you can pick facial features, you can pick you know race and anything like that. You can have pointy ears if you really want them, etc. Yeah. You can carry an orb or a staff, or have like a spell being cast in your hand, right? Like. You've got a variety of different weapons. Um, they're themed around like um, different genres too. So if you need a western or you need a sci-fi kind of character, yeah, I love that. You know, it's hard to get a like a druid mini with a shield and a wooden staff, right? You know, but not like oh, I'm carrying a staff like it's a walking stick. I'm carrying a staff because I'm going to beat people in the face with it. Yeah, um, it's also cool like for those mashup characters and in sort of the more eclectic genres, like even you know because of the gothic. Um, 40k like sometimes it's nice to if you need an inquisitor you can get somebody in full armor who's carrying a gun and also has like an admiral's hat <laughs> tricorn <laughs> oh no it's a bicorn but it's got a large feather uh, you can also plunder lines of tabletop war games um, I think some of the most popular ones are are the best blended between um, partially because they have their own RPGs already and partially just because they work well at most tables. So uh, Warhammer fantasy and Warhammer 40 K are both good for fantasy and sci-fi type games, especially if you like big pauldrons. Yeah, we do this in our rogue trader game. Um, these are actually pretty great for enemies. If you're interested in, in having minis that are representing the, you know, the faceless soldiers, then, you know, a guy in full, a full visor power armor is great. 
You can also look at like uh, War Hordes, War Machine, or Hordes by Privateer Press. So that has like kind of a fantasy steampunk aesthetic. So, you know, you can get something that's a little more on the sci-fi end, but you can also get very, very fantasy-oriented minis pretty easily. Um, and they're all, I, both of them are gorgeous lines of miniatures. They do a, a really good job of sculpting, and they're pretty high quality. Yeah, Malifaux is similar. That's uh, fantasy, some steampunk, and you also get a, a Western vibe with some of those minis. Um, and then we used hero clicks for our supers game so that we would have some minis to represent not only our heroes, but also the villains. And that, I like that because a superhero, the superhero genre is so eclectic to begin with. Like powers are so crazy and you actually get lots of different colors. And like costumes are important, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, you're playing a superhero game and you're like, but my costume doesn't look like that. Right. <laughs> So there are actually plenty of options with hero clicks. Uh, one of the problems, though, is like the, the base is just a little too large. Yeah, because um, they're meant to like spin for whatever the game of hero clicks is. I've never played it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I assume it's some tabletop war game, but I I don't know. So like, but I do know as you spin the base, it changes their stats. Um, but unfortunately, that base is just a little too large. So try to resist the temptation to break it off because you're probably going to lose a foot. Yeah. You can also plunder board games, interestingly enough, and especially more these days when your options are greater than Sorry, Parcheesi, Backgammon, and Monopoly. Yeah. Although, I mean, the Monopoly, yeah, that's that's fine. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I I kill that thimble. <laughs> I am the dog. I speed away in the car. <laughs> Not quite 28 mil- millimeter scale there, huh? Uh, yeah, so what, so what are some good board games these days to, to steal from? Um, so anything from Cool Mini or not, uh, it's right there in the title. Or I guess it's C C M O N games now or, or whatever. So they, they run a Kickstarter or two every year that's got a comical amount of add-ons that are all these gorgeously sculpted minis. Um, personally, I loved the minis from Blood Rage a couple of years ago that's sort of Viking-themed. Uh, there's also Fantasy Flight. Uh, Fantasy Flight is, has put out board game versions of some of their RPG lines. You've got Star Wars, um, they've got a Fallout board game, and they come with a bunch of different minis. It's particularly great because you know exactly the kind of minis that you're getting. You're not necessarily scavenging. You're going, oh, I have the Star Wars board game, so I'm just getting a bunch of Star Wars minis. Yeah, the Star Wars um, Star Wars stuff is nice because you can actually buy individual like minis to use for the game. Like It's it's a board game kind of tabletop hybrid or board game war game hybrid. So like you can just pick the things you need. You know, if you need an ATST for this fight, um, you can go buy that rather than having to like, you know, buy a whole box of $80 worth of miniatures just to get that one thing that you needed. Or maybe you're not even playing in a game and you just really need an ATST. <laughs> right. Just to have. Just to sit on your desk. <laughs> Um, Kingdom Death is another game that does really high quality miniatures. Um, it's it's kind of eclectic. They're all sort of like you know, somewhere in the gothic horror range, um, sort of fantasy themed. Um, but they're I mean they're gorgeous sculpts. They're just rather expensive. And then sticking back with the fantasy line, um, Mage Knight is another game that you can usually find that has some um, pretty doable minis, uh, and also you know like a fun game to play. So you don't necessarily need to go out and buy an entire board game and, you know, just to get all of the minis that are included uh, or really any of the games that we've mentioned. You don't need to like play Warhammer 40k in order to like pick up a few minis here and there. You can buy almost all of these individually somewhere. 
Um, you go on Amazon, you'll see a bunch of minis from like Reaper or like old D&D or Pathfinder minis. Mm-hmm. Uh, eBay is actually also a really good place to get like individual minis. Now, if, if you need like a large army, um, you're the GM, you're trying to run uh, something, it gets pretty expensive. Like it adds up. It might be like eight to even $20 per mini, depending on like how big it is or like what specifically you're looking for. But if you're a player in a game, and you have a particular character concept and you know that you're going to be using a mini and you're going to be using like one mini for like maybe years, it's totally worth the investment to like buy exactly what you're looking for. Like go on eBay or something, find it, buy it, paint it yourself, have someone else paint it. Like it's definitely worth the relatively low investment. Yeah, and I mean, you're talking for for the type of miniatures that are troops, right? That are sort of repeated throughout an army um, in a war game. Like you're usually talking three to $5 per mini. Um, but when you get to characters, that's sort of when it gets more expensive in like ten to thirty dollar range. And Hero Forge, like completely customizing your character, uh, you it's twenty to thirty dollars for that. So you know it's expensive, but like you said, it kind of it works out over time if you're going to stick with it. Yeah, and you know people aren't usually getting like forty Hero Forge minis. You know you're getting four or one, one each. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for, like, as you as a player over the course of, like, multiple years. Yeah, yeah. But speaking of Hero Forge, which 3D prints these minis um, from, like, a custom template that you're setting up, you can... There are also plenty of ways to 3D print on your own. Yeah, if you have a 3D printer, it is not hard to find the, like, specs that you need in order to create your own, especially for monsters. I know on the D&D subreddit, Mm -hmm. there was a guy who was just, like going through the monster manual and 3d printing the whole thing and like posting it (laughs) yeah i think he made it all the way through volo's guide now too that's insane yeah Um, i mean uh maybe i guess he's working on xanathars yeah i mean you run into some quality issues with like 3d printing like it's not gonna be as smooth and tight as like uh, a molded cast miniature right it might be like a little a little ridged yeah yeah so you might have some cleanup work to do on it to make it really look the same um or, you know, you could just accept that it's going to look like a 3D printed mini and that's okay. Um, but, you know, it's still uh, a fun kind of hobby, do-it-yourself sort of option as well. Yeah, and these days, if you're in a metropolitan area, there are often, you know, little pop-up maker labs where you can go in and they'll 3D print whatever you want if you've got the specs. They'll help you put the specs together if you really want. So I saw this at, like, a FedEx. Really? Or, like, a UPS store, yeah, that they had, like you know a place where you would go to do printing they had a 3d printer wow i I don't know if it works with like the quality of plastic that you would need for minis but like yeah you could just go to fedex now and 3d print yeah it's definitely one of those technologies that is increasing in quality extremely quickly um you also find them at other random places like i know a lot of people work in creative uh environments like you know an ad agency or something where um you'll have 3d printers at the office and those types of spaces usually they want you to play around because that's how you're actually learning things Mm -hmm. um so you know try to make a couple of like test minis and like see how it works and maybe you'll actually get better your job too yeah maybe just make a bunch of minis for your entire group right (laughs) so even better (laughs) so even if you're not using these minis to play an rpg they still have uses yeah there's definitely a hobby that's built around like owning and collecting miniatures right like um you know because they're not it's not as simple as just buying the action figure in the box right or then never touching it right um 
like they're meant to be sort of interacted with right like they're meant to be used for play but even if you aren't playing with them like there's display and there's collection and there's all that sort of stuff that goes into it so um even if it's an adjacent hobby to to rpgs right like i think it's one that's very common and shared kind of across players are they a good investment uh not so much (laughs) investments are supposed to return you money right (laughs) i mean i guess if the price of pewter goes up maybe they're a good investment yeah yes post-apocalypse you can melt them down into yeah like into bullets for the revolutionary war i saw the patriot spoons also those are probably lead right no at the time all pewter was lead was that true leaded oh well yeah that makes sense so speaking of minis as a hobby uh the first thing with minis is collecting them of course um whether that's collecting like an army or it's collecting a line or a series or it's just you know collecting the limited editions or whatever um you know there are uh, all over the internet places where people are showing off like what they have um for their minis or or putting them in display cases or or whatever yeah people do it with our dice collections it makes sense that they would do it with you know something like minis mm-hmm. um and if this is something that sort of like is over your head you're like i don't really understand why anyone would would want to collect these because you know i i don't collect minis you know i have like a handful of them for my characters right but there's definitely something to like walking into a game that you know is supposed to be like a big session and seeing that like oh my god the 24 inch red dragon is on the table uh this is going to be intense. Yeah, like I'm like, curious if that's a red dragon or if it's a stand-in for something else that's right. That's size. even worse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had I had a four E campaign end with like the giant Orcus, and it was like, oh my god, like that GM invested. Right. <laughs> <laughs> also, like there's a fun thing. So we use a combination of minis at our table. Um, so I have some old 40k miniatures that are largely unpainted. Um, some of them are primed. Um, as well as like Jim and Angelo and Susie both like all have collections of either D and D or Pathfinder minis that they've kind of picked up over the years. Um, and then like Steph has uh, a handful of unpainted war machine minis that she bought because they looked cool and would love to use them for a game somehow, some way. I and mean, didn't uh, she have the, a bunch of the hero clicks? Yeah. And she yeah. had a handful of hero clicks as well for the supers game that she ran. So like we have like a pretty diverse collection of minis, but there's definitely an element of like, you know, when you crack open the box and you're like, Hey, find me something that works for this creature. And you get that fun of like digging through and being like, huh? that red mage looks really funny (laughs) or like man this is a really cool fighter sculpt or whatever and that's that's strange that he's carrying a scythe i don't think i've ever seen that in a mini yeah oh this one looks angry that's a bad guy all right yeah oh that's also a bad guy do we have five of these yeah how many are we fighting (laughs) no just no no reason just tell me how many we're fighting so i can get you the right number of minis that's all (laughs) you get to play like (laughs) matchmaker trying to figure out like okay everything that has uh dark like lead colored armor that's a goblin, but everything that's bright green, that's the mage. Yeah, all the spiders, that's us. Right. We're the spiders. <laughs> um, and then actually the like act of building your miniatures has its own like set of hobbies around it too, right? So there's like assembling and painting, and then you get into like customizing and basing and that sort of stuff. Yeah, this has more in common with, you know, like model airplanes, ships, and things like that. Right. Uh, where you're actually deciding 
um, what parts you're going to get and, you know, how you want to exactly how you want to put them together. You know, what exactly is the, the pose? I can make slight variations with the parts that I've got. Yeah. So you don't do any of this stuff, but no, but I've seen you do it yeah. <laughs> for hours at a time, right? For, for an entire Thrillicon. <laughs> Um, but if you want to get into it, what are, what are the, what's the equipment that you need and what, what should you expect? Okay, so you'll start with assembling, right? Because um, outside of like board games and Reaper, um, most minis involve some type of assembly, even if it's just like, you know, putting the arm on or something like that. Um, but generally, like having miniatures that require assembly are going to get you like more detailed sculpts um, that'll ultimately look a little bit better, but it, you know, you got to go through the work of actually getting all the parts together. Yeah. Cause uh, sometimes you'll get like the, the pre painted plastic minis, like they're supposed to look a certain way, but sometimes the like automated process doesn't quite work out and you'll get like a face on the side of a face. Or... Yeah. Or they're, I mean, they're just like, there's a limit to what you can actually like do with, uh, with what the mold looks like, you know? Um, so what you want to do, it's like, it's a pretty simple process. You just want to clip the different pieces off of the sprues that they come in. Right. So they, they come like, like I said, attached to like a plastic, um, holder, um, from when they were cast. So you want to just clip them off. Um, you can do that with a knife. You can just like kind of cut through it. You can twist it. As you mentioned, um, I find the easiest way is to just use like toenail clippers. Um, cause they're large enough that you can like actually get enough like leverage on it, but they're small enough that you can usually get it pretty close. Maybe fingernail clippers too, if you don't want to toe jam on your minis. Well, I, t- fingernail clippers are smaller, so you don't have as much leverage to actually like squeeze it. You just get uh, ones for giants. Okay, yeah, giant fingernail clippers. <laughs> um, they actually make model like clippers as well. If you want to spend seven dollars for a dedicated tool, um, but then you take an exacto knife. Um, you want to just trim off all that stuff. You want to trim off the mold line. Sometimes, like there's uh, a little bit leftover that shows exactly where the two pieces of the mold came together. Yeah, you know that part. It's the part where it's like, oh, that's a little bit sharp on this piece of plastic. Yeah, or like there's like a weird like line that seems to run down the center of like a piece of armor (laughs) it's like i don't think that belongs there um you know or like the sword has a slightly rounded tip because it uh it was a little bit like leaking as it was coming out of the mold so once you have all those parts out you want to um kind of dry fit them together if they're complicated so that you know everything fits and you can you know kind of make adjustments if you need to make sure there's no like excess bits of plastic that are getting in the way or, or whatever it is and then you just use a super glue like a, a cryonoacylate cyanoacylate super glue like zappa gap um, that pretty much covers every mini you'll want to build for an rpg um, it takes like a minute to cure and once they're you just hold them together briefly and then once it sets like it's a pretty strong bond yeah you've got a very strong bond with your minis (laughs) so are you doing this with um metal at all yeah i mean pewter works basically the same way um but so many companies have stopped using pewter because it got expensive Mm. so they kind of switched to plastic instead um and a lot of times pewter miniatures don't have much assembly because they're just cast once um, so like Reaper, for example, rarely has assembly outside of like the very, very big models that they do, um, like the big monsters. 
like individual character minis are generally cast the way they are and that's pretty much it for reaper right i had a reaper druid or have a reaper druid that was two pieces right? oh so dear all woo, all you had to do was like glue the i think the foot into the stand essentially yeah um but because the computers were getting more expensive like the price point has gone up a little bit it usually means that you know, you're getting something very high quality if you're springing for a pewter mini yeah and I mean, it's it's metal, so they can do a lot with the level of detail on it, right? That's yeah, it holds sort of the shape the, really well. The appeal, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're done with that, you leave them plastic or metal, yes? You do if you're most Warhammer players. <laughs> 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 and we shall turn back this never-ending gray horde. <laughs> <laughs> Which ones are you? The white ones. They're all... They're every single... Okay. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah so... Um, then is when you paint and painting is, I think kind of like the, the part that is most artistic in the hobby. Um, cause this is where you actually have a chance to sort of like make it look the way you imagine it. Right. Like, so is that cloak that's on your mini, is it brown or is it green or is it black? You know, um, what does the face look like and what color are the eyes? Yeah, I mean, I'm of the opinion that if you've already gone through the whole process this this far, like, paint them. Also, I have bad eyes, so when things are uh, on the board, I usually lose detail if everything's the same color. So mm-hmm. I'm like, please paint your minis so I know what's going on. Yeah, that's, I mean, there's a reason in, like, tabletop games that they call, like, the standard for tabletop is that you should have three colors on your minis because it lets you just quickly pick up the detail and differentiate them. You know, gray is kind of hard to differentiate what's actually on the surface of the mini. Black is even worse. But if you put a little bit of color on it, it makes it super clear what everything is. Also, I mean, I alluded to this earlier, but if you're buying pre-painted plastic minis, often, like, it looks a bit like a rush job, you know, because it was done via automation. Like, sometimes you'll have colors bleed over into a section where they're not supposed to be. You know, like, the cloak is brown, but it also means that, like, part of the neck is brown, too. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like hints of color. It's like impressionist art. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I will say one exception to that. The Star Wars pre-painted lines look really good from Fantasy Flight, especially the X-Wing and Armada lines, like the ships. Um, they actually have a really nice paint job on them. Can you repaint minis once you've already done it? Do you just like prime again and paint over? Yeah, I mean, there's um, there's ways to strip paint off of minis as well mm-hmm. that are pretty safe. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess worst case, you could just prime them and paint over them. I mean, I like that idea when you're getting like new gear or, you know, if you have an entire ship, like we added a new thing or like we painted our logo on the side or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean... um. I know people who paint their board game minis, mm. like regardless, even if they're just using them for that board game. So, you know, painting is fun. Yeah, I think for some people it's definitely, uh, I'm looking for an excuse to paint more. Yeah, and I mean, for me personally, having just gotten back into painting um, in the past like month or so, like it's a little bit expensive to start, but um, I find that it's rather relaxing if I can just do it for like a couple hours at a time, like free up some time I can put on a podcast or like put TV on in the background and just paint for a little bit. And then like, I feel like I've made concrete progress and I can go do something else. All right. So can you walk us through the process of painting start to finish? Cause I honestly, I don't even know how to like paint plasterboard. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's pretty simple. 
Um, you start off, you need to wash your minis with dish soap and like, uh, you know, kind of give them a light scrub with like a toothbrush. That's right. Wash them before you put them in your mouth. Yeah. (laughs) Um, that's because there's like a mold release agent that gets put, uh, that gets sprayed inside the molds when they're cast so that they can actually get the plastic out without it cracking. Um, and that, uh, since it is meant as a lubricant, it turns out paint doesn't stick so well to that. Um, so you just want a clean surface so the paint will stick. Uh, then you prime it, which is like usually you pick either white, gray, or black. Typically, you want to go with gray or black. If bright color, you do gray. Dark color, you do black. Um, you just prime it. So you can do that either by spraying it um, or you can like you can buy cans of primer um, like spray paint. Yeah, if you live in a place where you have any access to outdoor space. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's also climate driven, right? So if it's very humid in your area or very windy, things like that, like, you know, you're better off or it's too hot, actually. Um, you're better off just kind of brushing on the primer. Uh, I live in a New York City apartment, so I don't have an option to do that. I have to brush on. Um, and that's fine, too. It doesn't take super long. Um, it cures in like a few hours, like maybe 12 to 24 hours. So you do it one day and the next day you paint. Um, and then you just start painting. Um, there's a, a handful of different techniques of painting, like much more than I am capable of demonstrating or even really describing. Um, but the basic idea with paint is that, you know, you go to the games workshop store, you go to Reaper or you go to like Vallejo, one of those kind of are the big three brands of miniatures paints. Army painter, I think is the other one. Um, you put a few drops of it, you get your brush wet, kind of thin the paint a little bit, and then you just start applying it, um, in multiple like thin coats to the different places that you want to be a given color, uh, call that a base. Um, that is pretty much where you stop um, if you just want the most basic thing you need, right? Just like good, clean, inside-the-lines painting um, will look pretty good out on the table from far away. Um, very like That's why it's called tabletop standard. Get three colors on there, uh, paint inside the lines, and it's a nice, clean look. If you want to go more advanced, you can do things like washing, which is um, adding a bunch of like depth to the model. Um, you can layer it, which will add brightness back to the raised parts and then highlight, um, sort of, um, like it says, like highlights the areas where the light catch. Um, so that's how you go from having like, you know, a very basic and and simple and, um, perfectly fine mini to having one that looks like it was painted, you know, for a magazine or something like that in a few steps. And if that sounds like a lot of materials, uh, if you know someone who's doing that, just use theirs to start off. Like if I was going to paint a mini, I would like use the the paint that like you or Susie have to yeah. start I, yeah. wouldn't, I wouldn't like invest right off the bat no and i mean that's the thing is you don't actually need that many colors to do it um you know like the reaper starter kit runs like 30 to 40 dollars and comes with a brush so that has every color you would need to paint any mini um and like you said you can just share paints um paint isn't that expensive especially if you're only doing a few things so share the paint you know paint your six minis that you've bought that you're excited about and that's good Uh, i will say like spending a little bit more money on your brush usually gets you better results and you end up less frustrated because it keeps a good tip and uh and it'll last longer and then the last step is to just like seal the mini like put some uh, in a tomb (laughs) no i mean like uh, games workshop makes uh called art coat um, I think there's a couple other different like sealers or varnishes that you can put on your minis. It just gives it some more durability um, because, you know, minis are meant to be set on the table and picked up and have 
drinks spilled around them and you know Cheeto like, dust and, yeah exactly yeah. so you just want to protect the work that you've put into it with just kind of a quick run through um you can easily do a mini in a few hours you know like if you take out the curing time um making sure all the like the uh primer and the sealer are cured properly like it doesn't take that long to do a pretty decent job with a mini so shane you've done an excellent job describing this to uh my podcast eyes uh, but I'm wondering, is there anywhere I could go to actually see someone do this? Yeah, the internet. <laughs> ShaneTV.com? Uh, no, but try YouTube. <laughs> uh, you can pretty much search how to paint and anything on YouTube, and you will find somebody who has attempted it. Um, usually somebody who's pretty good. Um, one thing that I really like, I think Warhammer TV is a really good channel. They've got a guy named Duncan who hosts all of their painting videos. Of course, his name is Duncan. Yeah, it's like it's a little Bob Ross kind of feeling <laughs> to it. You know, it's just like very simple. He's very calm. He like kind of walks through like what colors he uses, like starting from darkest to light. Um, and, you know, he'll paint a mini in 15 minutes. So um, you'll see exactly how to make it look like the box that the Warhammer mini came in. Um, and the techniques are totally applicable across any mini that you find, you know, it's just the colors and the surfaces that he's targeting are Warhammer. Um, if you're more for reading, um, Daka Daka is one of the oldest forums for, um, like kind of hobby painting. Um, that's D-A-K-K-A, D-A-K-K-A.com. Um, or Reddit has a WIP, uh, uh, subreddit called WIP. Yeah, we'll have links in the show notes. You know, uh, there's that trend relatively recently of like people watching live streams of people doing very boring things. Uh, I know there was the eating at one point. Mm -hmm. Now it's studying, right? Uh, <laughs> is there anywhere I can go to watch people paint minis and just give them uh, give them money for letting me voyeuristically watch them coat their, their minis in paint? I am almost certain there is, and I have zero interest <laughs> in finding it. <laughs> So um, if you know of anywhere where you can do that, at Mundangerous. Okay? <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> if you know of those things, enjoy them yourself. Send your mini painting <laughs> videos <laughs> to the RPG Academy. <laughs> um, actually, I think um, on the RPG Academy's Twitch, they now, on I think Thursday nights, they have um, a guy from, from their network who is doing mini painting. Um, with pretty regularity, pretty, oh, pretty good regularity. They're ahead of us again. That was our plan. Yeah, no, that is definitely not going to be where my future is. <laughs> I'm not nearly good enough for that, but I do enjoy it. Well, you don't need to be good at it. You just you just need to look like you're having a good time. Well, that's true. Um, so the last thing is basing. Um, that's basically you know the the black plastic round base that the minis come on you like make that free look basing? More living no not free basing <laughs> it's just adding a little bit of texture to that and maybe making it look like a real environment so it's not a distracting black void sitting underneath your mini um i won't get into how to do that but check out the terrain tutor on youtube um he is literally bob ross uh, but british um he's just like the most happy and upbeat and like excited guy to talk about like how to do terrain and how to do bases and all that type of stuff he's uh his name is mel he's a great resource all right so if that's not enough work for you or that still doesn't give you exactly what you're looking for you can customize even more than that yeah oh yeah 
that's actually one of the best things about assembling them yourself is that you always have a choice of what goes on or what doesn't. Again, the old uh, model airplane philosophy was there are some people who want to build a specific airplane that actually exists in real life. And there are some people who want to buy multiple kits and put them together in crazy ways that a plane could never be. Yeah, uh, same thing with model railroads. You know, like you take... You, you need a building that looks like this, so you take these two kits and you bash them together. Uh, same thing works for miniatures. There are, I, I don't know, search kit bash and whatever line you're looking for, and you'll find amazing inspiration. It's like those people who buy uh, multiple things from Ikea. Yeah. <laughs> and just figure out how to put them together. Ikea hacks, yeah. <laughs> um, you, I mean, you can use that to, to really kind of sculpt your own. Um, there are definitely like materials that you can use like green stuff is one example that lets you cast your own pieces um, sort of mold them shape them so that you know if you need a uh, a specific badge on your shield or um, a belt buckle that looks unique something like that you can easily um, throw that onto your mini um, that sort of stuff um, and you can also use the leftover bits from like a previous build to customize a future one so never throw that stuff away if you can avoid it yeah, just cut off the arm and reattach it. Yeah, save those extra guns. You never know when you need somebody who's twin or who's dual wielding bolters. Uh, everyone, every <laughs> every one of my characters' base is dual wielding bolters. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> I just I just replaced the hands. <laughs> okay, so we've dropped a few like dollar amounts so far but you know altogether how expensive is this because you know i'm rolling in plenty of uh, expendable income it's it's pretty expensive to get started especially if you want to paint um you know the minis themselves are relatively cheap um like you said you know probably three to five dollars each for kind of troops um or like anything from reaper mostly um but if you get into some of the more exotic character like the more difficult sculpts and that sort of thing like they can definitely get into like the 20 to 30 dollars range um which is pretty painful uh and then all the supplies for painting and brushes and all that can can start to add up but fortunately you can start small um you know just buy what you need up front and see how you like it uh, you can go pretty far with just a few colors and you've always got ebay as you mentioned earlier you can definitely get some deals on ebay yeah, one of the good things I can't believe I'm saying good thing about eBay. One of the good things about eBay is that you'll also get people who pre-painted their own customized things and now they're just selling them. Yeah, exactly. So you can get a wide variety of stuff on on there. You know, you can get armies. Um, a lot of times, people are selling their collection of like the D and D or Pathfinder minis as well. Um, you can find some like old or out of print minis as well. Um, so you know, eBay is a good resource just in general. Okay, so to wrap this up here, um, do you have to do this? Of course not. Like, I don't really paint my own minis or anything like that, but when I do decide that I want a mini for a particular game that represents the character that I am playing and that I am very invested in and I spend a lot of time building, I spend forever looking for exactly what I want or, you know, even going out of my way to customize. Now, that means that I'm only doing it every, like, one or two years. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's still an interesting, fun process that you know you can really get into. Maybe like a little too into. A little too into. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, I know that you just uh, commission 
somebody to paint your minis for you so that it looks exactly like you want it to. Oh, yeah, I wave it away. Please paint these sections in this color. Yeah. I sp- it's more of an auburn is what I'm looking for. <laughs> I spent $6 on my mini. I spent $16 on the paint job. Oh, easily, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is way better than you spending, you know, any amount of time painting it yourself. <laughs> my time is very expensive, even for me. Right. Um, so that's also an option, right? Um, but yeah, I think I like it. It it does enhance the visual appeal of a game. Um, also, like I take a little bit of pride in like the creative and artwork aspect of it, even though I'm rather terrible at it. I mean, I agree. I love to see them at the table. I mean, it's sort of like um, you know, dungeon like Dwarven Forge tiles. Yeah, like, like you've seen, you know, you go to a comic book shop and like they've got like the actual labyrinth is built with like stone walls and like that's awesome. I just love doing it with somebody else's stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it's... which is why it's great to have like in the group multiple people who have like large mini collections. Right. All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? That is the sound of all my money leaving because I've decided to get into this hobby deep. Well, let's go to the character creation forge and cast you a miniature. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. So this week in The Forge, we are building... The mini mage. Um, Shane, what's the mini mage? Uh, it's a miniature. Who is a mage? <laughs> you took this really literally. I did, yeah. <laughs> so, so think about it. Like, describe a miniature, right? It's small. It's lifelike. It's easy to pick up and move. It's not very threatening, but it represents something that's much larger, more dangerous. Yeah, okay. I'm buying it. Okay. I'm into it. Okay. So, uh, Cobalt Sorcerer 10. So, it's miniature, so it doesn't have to go the full, right? Oh, I see. This is a mini build for a mini. It's a mini build for a mini. Look at you. And Cobalts are very small already. Mm-hmm. Uh, how how small are Cobalts? Well, I had to look this up. If I cherry pick third or 3.5, I find that Cobalts are between 2 feet and 2 feet 8 inches and weigh over 30 pounds actually if you if you double cherry pick fifth edition says they can weigh between 25 and 35 pounds Wait, where is that uh it's in volos Ugh. do you know i have three books open in front of me <laughs> all to the cobalt page one is to spells <laughs> <laughs> all right 25 uh, pounds and two feet tall <laughs> right that's very small. And also, if you were to describe a kobold, you might describe that one of them is rather useless and sort of a nuisance, but um, a whole cave of them is a problem. I have a problem of kobolds. Oh, good. Okay, well. So one kobold represents something more dangerous. <laughs> Sorcerer 10. No multiclassing here. Uh, I'm guessing this is what? Spell selection? Yeah, totally about spell selection and also metamagic. So you're a full caster as a sorcerer. Um, you know, charisma based, and you get those metamagic um, spell abilities. And we are going to focus on extend spell. I think this is the first time that we've actually suggested taking extend spell. Yeah, 
so extend spell will double the duration of a spell that you cast so my guess is that this build is fundamentally centered on some sort of concentration spell Uh uh-huh so we're also going to take the warcaster feat at level four so that we can maintain that concentration much more easily Mm -hmm. Um, and if we're going for a very small mini mage i'm thinking we're taking enlarge reduce indeed so enlarge reduce uh lasts for one minute requires concentration as you mentioned and it will reduce your size in half and reduce your weight by one eighth so uh, if you cast it upon yourself you will be one foot tall and weigh you know less than five pounds see 25 pounds divided by eight yeah checks out so you have warcaster as a sorcerer you have spell points which you use for your extend spell and if you were to spend 10 of those you could increase the duration of your enlarge reduce spell to 17 hours which is more than the adventuring day because you will rest for eight so once per day you cast reduce and it lasts all day on yourself yes nice so don't you want to know why we're going to cast reduce on ourselves? Because, like, what's the point of being a mini? In 5th edition, it's great. Uh, you have your carrying capacity, and you have disadvantage on uh, strength checks and ability checks. Yeah, exactly. So why would you not want to do that? Come on. Well, here's the thing. Plus, it's a cold. You get minus 2 to strength. So let's go. Right. <laughs> uh, is it so you can ride other people? Because if you are half the size of small, does that mean that you can ride small creatures? I mean, I I would say yes. I would, you know, I would go with it. You know, you I weigh three pounds. You're you're one foot tall. I mean, I think the answer there is yes. Oh, but, I can ride a terrier, a war terrier. But we're creating a mini here, a miniature. And what's the one thing you know about miniatures? They get moved around. But they don't move themselves. Uh oh. They just get picked up and placed places, right? Wait, what if you were a kobold mini mage with no legs? think how little you would weigh then (laughs) okay yes good point and how little you would be able to move (laughs) unless you have cast an all-day reduce on yourself and you're using mage hand to move yourself around you just pick yourself up and place you wherever you need to go i pick myself up and try again (laughs) i weigh less than five pounds which is the weight limit on mage hand perfect (laughs) (laughs) which which means you can do things like hover and fly because mage hand levitates right you also have the levitate and fly spells if you need them uh at at level 10 you'll get fifth level spells so you can use telekinesis to just move yourself um and then my favorite part of this is that like eventually you know you start with that one mini but then you want to build an army so we get the creation spell at level five uh which allows you to create um you know, a uh, one object, uh, you know, that must fit within five foot by five foot. It lasts for like 12 hours if it's stone or wood or whatever. Um, but more importantly, you can, it doesn't have any specification about how intricate it can be. So you can create that one giant sprue that has your whole miniature army <laughs> built on it and then just, you know, cut it out and assemble it very quickly. Yes. Every day. <laughs> Do you, uh, do sorcerers get stone shape? Because that's another option. I think it's a fourth level spell. You, you know, take a chunk of stone, turn it into your mini, and there you go. I think, you know, multiple times per day. Uh, all you need is to spend a little time slowly creating your army. Nope. Wait. 
Nope. Stone skin. Since they don't get stone shape, then this would be my mini mage who just pays someone else to make the minis. Right. (laughs) (laughs) How much to turn this into a troll? Like, no, like a tiny troll, like an image of a troll. Right. Uh, but it has a sword and a shield and a cape. So Like I, Batman. I like the idea that you could create these uh, this army of like-appearing kobolds, and then using a subtle spell, you could continue casting spells as a, uh, as a sorcerer, um, appearing to literally be a perfectly still miniature. Um, there would be no way to determine which of these kobold miniatures was casting the spell on me. <laughs> Yes, this is a this is a perfect kobold trap. Yes. All right, this is definitely a Tucker's kobold. Yes. <laughs> All right, we don't need to explain leveling order, of course, because you just take 10 levels of sorcerer. I mean, I would start off sorcerer, certainly. Definitely start sorcerer. Uh, at level 4, you want to take sorcerer, and then, you know, take that all the way to uh, level 10. All right, so Ishan, who is your mini-mage? My mini-mage had an unfortunate childhood in that she was kept as a wizard by a pet. Uh, Yep, yep, that checks out. Yep, that's it. (laughs) The pet kept her as a wizard. The pet was the pet of a wizard who kept her as a wizard. Done. Perfect. And this is why she's a sorcerer. She was kept by a wizard as a pet. Um, I think the the wizard probably was hoping at some point she'd you know some sort of show some sort of magical talent, uh, be a familiar of some kind. Um, she did, but just really didn't like being shunted to a pocket dimension, and eventually escaped and uh, set off on her own. But she was picked because she was tiny, and she's spent all of that time uh wanting to be even smaller because well wanting to hide wanting to hide from the wizard because she's just uninterested in going on this adventure where she's probably going to get vaporized by a fireball because she's just not getting enough hit points as a familiar so now she spends all her time uh hiding in plain sight being surreptitious about who is actually casting this magic uh fooling people tricking people um, who who she comes across into thinking that she's just a harmless little uh, little statue, standing there so quietly, so still. What could what kind of threat could this thing pose? <laughs> None whatsoever. As long as your DM isn't named Tucker. <laughs> never never have a GM named Tucker. Get out of that game. Get out of that game. It's too dangerous. All right, you've been warned. <laughs> And so, yeah, she hooks up with an adventuring company um, who are willing to put up with this ridiculousness because they understand that it works really well for all of them when the enemies are extraordinarily confused. Plus, you can ride in their pocket. Mm-hmm. All right, Shane. What about your mini-mage? My mini-mage is an aspiring wizard chess player. Oh, but wants to fight themselves? From Yeah, yeah. She's... <laughs> she's ready to take the battlefield you know like that 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 battlefield level command is sort of her advantage so she actually takes the uh, position of the queen on the board uh and so she is is uh is able to do that from there but you know obviously wizard chess is a very competitive game played by very rich and powerful people uh, some of the best wizard chess players in the world, in fact, are former adventurers. So what better Slash way? Russian. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Slash computers. <laughs> Russian computers. <laughs> uh, but what better better way to uh, improve your likelihood of, of making that career dream a reality uh, than by going out and adventuring and, and expanding your skills? 
I think that sounds like a great idea. Dangerous. Very dangerous. Lucrative. Very lucrative. And you win the adoration of an entire nation. You know, I think you have a better understanding of the lay of the board when you're seeing it first person. (laughs) That seems almost certainly untrue, but let's just go with that fiction for the sake of my character. Looking top down really doesn't get you the whole (laughs) view. (laughs) You're definitely missing some things. All you're seeing there is the forest. You want to see the trees. (laughs) Yeah, what about the terrain on the board? (laughs) It's a decided tactical advantage. (laughs) All right, before we wrap up, we want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. You can also leave us a five-star review on iTunes, and if you do, we will read it just like now. This is Got Me Back Into Gaming by Leap Year 79. During the winter of 2016, riddled with despair at the news, I saw that a friend had posted on his Facebook feed a list of podcasts he likes for long drives, or avoiding reality. I've always trusted his recommendations, so despite the fact that I hadn't gamed since late 2nd edition D&D, I picked up Total Party Thrill around episode 60. I was hooked. Is this what my childhood hobby had become? Smart storytelling, witty commentary, wry but enthusiastic hosts... I now look forward to Thursday morning with the anticipation of a mimic who hears first-level characters entering its dungeon. Couple the great structure with excellent sound. Why don't other RPG podcasts use the same gear? Because we got our gear from another RPG podcast. (laughs) And you've got a real winner. 18 months later, and I am DMing an Eberron campaign called Morning Becomes Electrum. What can I say? I'm a fan. Okay, uh... Necessary groan for the pun. Oh, and I'm so happy that there's another Eberron GM out there and another Eberron game. Yeah, you're you're creating a monster. Yes, little by little, tiny monsters I stone shape into visages of me. <laughs> every every morning pun will eventually be consumed in your empire of spin-off campaigns. Just you wait. Just you wait. <laughs> Um, so thank you for writing in. Thank you to your friend who recommended it. Uh, we don't know who that person is, but that's... Uh, very much appreciated and um you know this is like the kind of review that just warms my heart because it's why we started a podcast about rpgs is to get people excited about them totally although i wouldn't go back and listen to episodes uh zero through 59 it's probably not worth it yeah no there's nothing useful in there took us a while to get up to speed yeah (laughs) we had a long gestation period (laughs) still working on it uh but thank you so what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about crossing the moral event horizon. And in the character creation forge, we're building Sub-Zero. Well, that's it for episode 153 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name. But either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Oh, pillow fort. Pillow fort. Why do you harass me so? Stand. Stand. Or at least lean properly. Huh? That'll huh? work for now. There we go. Okay.